Good morning, everyone. We are live at the Masters, so now I know how Dave Marino feels all the time, waking up so late in the day to do this show. So uh, it's nice and easy from the East Coast. And Mike Momola, you're on the West Coast still, I assume. Yes, sir. Nice. And we are blessed here at the Masters in Augusta. Best one yet, as always. Uh, unbelievable time we're having here. And we have a, another day slated after the incredible office hours. And so excited to start off just like the world did. We're going to start the show off with Adam. Adam Rosen is here, founder of Email Outreach Company. And he has a great podcast that he hosts as well, The Rise with Scriz and Adam. Welcome to Office Hours, Adam. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. I'm psyched to be here. I'm psyched to have you. You know, I just got off a coaching call and uh, it was amazing. You know, someone's starting a new business and we were talking. He said, well, you know, what are the ways, you know, to, to market this business or whatever? And I said, there's four ways, right? In person, on the phone, via email, and traditional social media, uh, media in general. And it was like I gave him some epiphany when he's like, email? I was like, yeah, I still use hundreds of emails a day. In fact, I have everyone email me, which is why my email address is right there, uh, because I am handling all those emails. Um, you are the master of the cold email outreach. And so I was hoping you could give us a little bit of insight on number one, how effective and impactful is email still today, comparatively to social, for example, and two, you know, maybe a tip or two uh, for the crew. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for a little bit of background, I, I had a tech startup before I started this company, email outreach company, and I was not a well-funded startup. Uh, we didn't have a ton of connections in the space. So we had to get scrappy to get new customers. And the way we tried it was through cold email. So we would just cold email constantly to potential prospects to try to get them on the phone. And one of the reasons why, same with you, David, when I talk to startups, when I talk to new entrepreneurs, I always encourage them to do email. One, because it can work if you know what you're doing. And two, it can be incredibly inexpensive if, uh, if again, if you could do it right versus a lot of other marketing channels that are a lot more money, you can rapidly test, get a lot of feedback, and it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg to do it. That's, that, that's really interesting. I know, Dave, I get a ton of emails from you every day. I know you're a firm believer um, in the email outreach. Uh, obviously, Dave, I open everything that you said because, you know, I'm one of your good friends and, you know, I, I subscribe to your messaging, right, just as a philosophy. But Adam, how do you bridge the gap uh, when it's not like a situation with Dave, where I'm very aware of what he's doing, what he's what he's putting out there, and it's a new company or a new individual that's selling a content or a service? Because for me, if I'm being completely candid, and this is probably what you get all the time, is I don't look at those emails. I usually just send them to spam. So what's the secret sauce to get those things opened? Yeah, you and most people. So like on average, we get 121 emails a day, and we ignore 111 of them. So almost every email, you're absolutely right. We do ignore, we throw into spam, we delete. So when we do emails, like for us, and we're doing cold emails, for, for reference, we're sending about 300,000 emails every single week across all of our customers, across many different verticals. And I am not someone who believes in gimmick emails. Some people will try to trick you into taking a meeting with the whole bait and switch. I am not a believer in that. For us, when we email, it's very straightforward. It's what's the purpose of the email? What's the problem you solve? What's your solution? What's your social proof? What's your call to action? 
all simple, one line, spaced out nicely, make it easy for someone to see, is this relevant to me? And if so, what's the action I should take? And then on top of all of that, you got to follow up. If you only send one email, you're only getting about 17% of the appointments you could be getting. So we're sending eight follow-up emails, sometimes even more than that. It takes on average over three emails to get a meeting set up. So you got to send a really strong first email, but so much of the art, like with anything in life, is around being persistent and being professionally persistent. So that's what we've uh, hopefully tried to master and hopefully we'll continue to get better at it. So Adam, what are the mechanics of this for a startup? In other words, you know, I know if they hire you that there's assistance there, but is, you know, in building out an email list, is that something that you do? Is that something that you do because I'm providing you with the emails and, and, you know, me as a new startup, I just opened a law firm today. Um, how do I get those email addresses of the people that are relevant that I really want in the surrounding areas? Is that specifically something that you do or it's something that they have to do with you? Yeah, so really anything email related to book sales appointments we can do, but even just to share what anyone could do on their own. So big thing that I look at is number one, is your email set up to do mass outreach? And mass outreach, think of it sending on the low end a few hundred emails to on the high end a few thousand emails, sometimes even every day. Um, or at least every week. But you have to have your inbox set up properly. And what's interesting is 80% of inboxes are not set up properly to send mass email. So think of it like DKM, DMARC, S, you know, uh, um, SPF, those types of things are not set up properly. So if you do send your emails, odds are you're going into spam. If you go into spam, not only is no one going to read your main email, but other emails that you send, maybe like a proposal to a client, they're going to go into spam too. So one, you have to get your inbox set up properly. Two, Mike, to your point, you have to get good lists. Don't buy crap lists where they're bad emails, fake emails. Again, that's going to land you into spam. Number three is, of course, writing a good email, having a good system to book those appointments or to send those emails uh, to get a good response. But then four, what's your infrastructure to manage the responses you're going to get when people say they're interested, when people say they're not interested, et cetera. So like those are the four key areas that any entrepreneur, any person needs to think about before they get into cold email. And, you know, the goal of any cold calling, uh, especially today, because like you said, you're sending out 300,000 emails in a week. Uh, if you're utilizing email, phone, text and social, you know, you could be in millions of people a week. Um, and that was never came. It wasn't possible when I was young. Right. It was literally yellow pages and uh, it would take you a lifetime uh, to hit as many people that I reach out to in a day. A, a lifetime and you know i'm really looking at this great divide of what i call the great realization you know it's the first time ever in hr history that companies are laying off people and hiring people at the same time uh because of the great realization it's this divide of people not knowing how efficient technology is and the boss is not knowing but to that end people don't know how important it is to get people to call you back so if you can reach out to 300,000 people and you can move from a 1% callback to a 2% callback, your, your, your business is ridiculous. Um, and so what, what in that structure of email is stimulating the interest to get people to, to email or call back? Yeah, well, it depends on what you want from that person. So for example, like, <clears throat> How we got MasterCard as a customer in my previous tech startup was from busy, from emailing one of the busiest people in the world. Now their former CEO, Ajay Banga. 
cold emailed him, led to multiple phone calls with him. He passed this to his CHRO. They ended up buying my software. How we raise money for our startup, cold emailing a potential investor, led to them being our anchor investor. How we sold our first company, cold emailed potential acquisition partners. They ended up buying our company. How I got on this podcast was cold emailing you, David, to get on this podcast. Like how, how you get in touch with an influencer that can change your business. Like it depends on who your audience is that's gonna have uh, the message resonate, but it all goes back to the same stuff I mentioned earlier. What's the purpose of my email? What is the problem you solve? What is your solution? What is your social proof to give you credibility? And what's your call to action? Can I have 15 minutes of your time? So it depends on who, you, who you're reaching out to what, and what you want from them. But the same, the structure remains the same. I love it, Adam. It, it's clear your philosophy is you got to be in the game to win the game, right? And I think a lot of you can apply that philosophy broadly across a, a lot of industries. I know Dave, you talking to Gary, one of the things with him with social media, when you're growing your social media brand was you got to be in the game and win the game by posting more content, right? So it's a numbers game at the end of the day. And you've, you've been able to leverage everything you've done, Adam, tremendously. How have you been able to leverage your success in the email outreach space into, into business coaching? And, and what's your specialty with business coaching? Yeah, great question. So for, for me, I, I do the business, I do the business coaching on the, uh, on the side. So that I do through an amazing company. I'm going to give them a shout out. It's called Eureka. They were acquired by Zen business, uh, Mark Cuban, uh, Mr. Wonderful. They're, they're involved with that company. So that just happened uh, as a one-off thing. Like I love working with startups. I love working with small businesses. I always say entrepreneurs are the heartbeat of America. I think they will make America so special as the entrepreneurs, but they don't get enough support that I believe they deserve and they should get because they have such an they could have such an amazing impact uh, on their communities, families, etc. So, like how I parlay it is, I like to share the real stuff. Like for me, when I had my text, one of my biggest issues with the startup world in general was it's filled with crap. And what I mean by that is like. You ask someone, how's everything going with your startup? They say, yeah, everything's great. How's everything going with you? Everything's great. Meanwhile, we look behind ourselves and the house is burning down. So I wish we would just share more real stuff about what works and what doesn't work so that we can hopefully save people time, money, resources, so that they don't need to make the same mistake that I made. I'm sure you guys have made, um, et cetera, et cetera. So to your point, David, that, that's how I like to share whenever I'm coaching and working with startups to share the real stuff and make it as practical as possible and stay away from the woo-woo as much as possible. Adam, when, when you're sending the emails out and you have to be aggressive, as Dave said, have to be in it to win it. Um, are, are we willing to go to the point of having people block us because they, they get so many emails or are we kind of like rattling it back right before that? And how do you know what that point is to stop? It's an awesome question, and the, the the sad reality is there is no uh, there's no there's no exact signs to it because you just don't you might get it. We'll get an email back on a Sunday night at eight p.m. and someone's like, "Oh, timing is perfect. Let's talk." Then you'll have somebody else at that same time that say, "Why would you ever email me on the weekend? I don't want to talk to you." So, the truth is, just like with anything in marketing, whether you're doing a Facebook ad, an Instagram ad, a billboard, an email, whatever it is, it's you can't control what the other person is going through. You can only do the best possible job to share your message in the most professionally, persistent, respectful way possible and just say, hey, if you are not interested, please let me know and I'll stop bugging you. So there's no exact signs to it, but we can only do the best we can to give our message in the best way possible so that hopefully the most amount of people can resonate with it as possible. Yeah. And, you know, I want to put a reminder, these are cold emails. So there's, you know, billions of people that are available to you. So I would much rather, and I'd like your opinion, Adam, I'd much rather someone 
email me back pissed off because I emailed them on the weekend or they received too many emails for me, way rather that than someone just blocked me. Because I have been, I found that someone that takes the, the time to, you know, email me because they're pissed off is a great prospect. Uh, and if you know how to sell, uh, the, the worst is the guy that just blocks you and then now you, you're one less. But there's so many in the fish pond, who cares if you have one less? I just want them to get back to me in some respect. I love that. I 100% agree. It's uh, it's uh, it's so true because I've actually had, like to your point, some really good conversations and that people that have even turned into a customer or a good fan because they had a, you know, a really unpleasant email back to me or to one of our customers, but then you can have that dialogue and then you get to the root of like, hey, you're actually not such a bad guy. Let's, let's have a conversation. Heck, I remember even I, I've done real estate developments in the past and I was marketing a real estate development on Facebook and I had this guy reach out to a comment on my post and was like, this was during COVID. He's like, you're the worst. Uh, I hope you get COVID, blah, blah, blah. And I just responded <laughs> and I, I like engaging with everybody. So I just started engaging with him. And then he messaged me and he was like, hey, man, I got to say, I'm really sorry. I was having a bad day. You seem like a good guy. If you ever want to grab a beer, let me know. So it's like usually when people have those negative responses to it's not about you. It's probably more about where they are and just always handle it as respectfully as possible. Yeah, that's great advice. Uh, first up for the world and first up on office hours here on Friday, a damn, a damn good man, Adam Rosen. He's teaching us all how to utilize one of the four distribution amplification points that we have. Uh, check out his podcast as well. Uh, I think I'll be coming on it soon as well. So we'll have some fun uh, amplifying the podcast, sending our message. I, I'd love to talk about those uh, emails more. Anyway, uh, thank you, Adam. We'll have you back on. Uh, there's many more shows. We'll have some fun together. Keep the great work up. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate you having me. Love the work you're doing. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Adam. You. Take care. Right, see you guys. Awesome. All right. Next up, Mr. Tuttle's here. Darren, oh, on my left side, Tuttle Ventures, uh, TuttleVentures.com. Welcome, Darren, to Office Hours. How are you? Hey, David. Good morning. I'm, I'm doing awesome. Great to be here. Well, it's great to have you. And, you know, I want to start off uh, with, you know, you're in the venture world. And, uh, you know, today is not the same as years ago when Gary and I were telling everyone, if you can't raise money right now, uh, I don't think you'll ever be able to raise money. And here we are where most of the people that are coming to me are telling me how much uh, more difficult it is today to raise money. I personally think that, you know, to me, this is when the real deals get done. Uh, this is when the real money is distributed. Uh, and if you are worthy of that, it's actually easier because a lot of people are quitting uh, and there's a lot less distraction from real deals right now. So I'd love to get your perspective on when there's too much money out there and compared to today where we actually have to trust and vet a lot better in order to facilitate funding a company. Well, yeah, you know, David, absolutely. I think, um, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, as interest rates rise, the price of money increases, right? And like you say all the time with investing, it's about your risk tolerance and your timing. Right. And so when you're dealing with the right people that understand those time frames and also understand that the price of money is going up, the allocation of resources get funded to the best ideas. And so, you know, we just recently closed a transaction with SpaceX. 
Um, we just closed another transaction um, with Stay Tuned. They're doing Shopify rollups. So, you know, they're reaching over 300, uh, 30,000 merchants on the Shopify network to be able to improve their operations, their efficiencies. Those are some of the best ideas that are getting funded right now that we are really excited about in the venture funding space, even though there is that difficult macro backdrop. Darren, good morning. Uh, obviously, congrats on your success. I know your journey is an interesting one. It, it says that Total Ventures uh, focuses on you know investment investment guys, founders, and innovators that didn't take a traditional path to building wealth. Uh, I think the two part question is here: is what is the traditional path to, to building wealth? Just mommy or daddy giving it to you, or is it is it being an entrepreneur and just kind of you know doing it by yourself? Like, what's the traditional path, and then where do you guys specialize? Um, you know, David, the average advisor, financial advisor, somebody in, in my type of position is 52 years old, right? And right before I came on the show, David was talking about how we're in a digital age now. Uh, we're in a new economy. Uh, Gary Vee talks about this all the time as well. And when I talk about, you know, how I advise other advisors, how I advise innovators and entrepreneurs today is much different than the traditional path to wealth was two or three generations ago. There used to be, you know, this uh, belief system that if you, know, if you stayed working hard in the same job 30 years, you'd have a pension for you at the end of the day from the railroad and you could just kick your feet up and live off of that for the, end of the, uh, for the rest of your life, right? And we know that, uh, you know, for a lot of the people that I work with, they haven't taken that traditional path. And so, um, you know, that requires a different set of skill sets that may not fit that same, you know, round, uh, round shape into a square hole. Hmm. So Darren, when, when, when we look at kind of the three different mechanisms to achieving wealth, we have like kind of at the base layer, you could trade your time for money. You know, it could be a kind of a lawyer, a plumber or, or a doctor. And that's one way of doing it, but you'll never achieve generational wealth. And the next way is that we can, we can trade our time for the time of others for money and have employees and have others who are working. And as they're making money, we increase our wealth. And the third way at the top of the pyramid there, as you're talking about, is to have your money go to work for you, right? And so thinking of each one of our dollars as little employees and putting them out there on, in the world to, to make money for us. What's the balance of that in terms of where we are as a, a society today and putting those dollars out, out there to work, but also saving is because there are differing schools of thoughts on how we need to invest. And I know Dave talks about your, you know, your timing and, and your risk and whether, you know, where you are kind of as an individual, but should we be saving money? And, and if we are, what portion should we be saving versus which portion we should be investing, et cetera? Well, you know, Mike, you sound like one of my perfect clients, right? Um, I would say the answer is it depends. Uh, you know, for everybody, it's a little bit different. Uh, if you're talking about emergency fund savings, if you're talking about, you know, that uh, that rainy day fund, you know, that looks a lot different depending on the lifestyle that you live. And so, you know, I have the spectrum of working with a lot of different uh, clients that have a lot of different, uh, you know, lifestyle choices that they make. And it's all about accommodating those to, to get to your sleep at, at night number. And, you know, in terms of savings, sometimes that's the hardest thing for people to start doing initially. Um, and then there's others where, you know, we say, hey, you know, it looks like you've been uh, stashing too much in the piggy bank here. Let's let's start putting some seeds out there to, to grow other things. So 
Um, you know, it really depends about your lifestyle. It depends about your personality because everybody kind of has these preconceived notions that they have coming in to working with somebody about money. And a lot of my job is just tearing those down to get to understand the individual at a core level. And once we understand them at a core level, we do a values alignment, and then we're really able to leverage the money that they have to help the most amount of people. Um, you know, I have companies now in my portfolio that are sold in you know 23 different countries, all 50 states. And, you know, when they initially started working with me, had no idea that that is the kind of impact that they could have. Right. And so um, we've actually transitioned where people are no longer just thinking about, hey, am I going to get, you know, a one dollar incremental return on my investment? What's my ROI? But but also what's the legacy? What's the impact? What what is this dollar going to mean to my children, to my grandchildren? And then that's when you really start to see, uh, you know, the power that, that we can have. And, and that's why we have trusted advisors, too. And, you know, we use that fiduciary term, trust advisor, financial planner, financial advisor. In a lot of circumstances today, uh, those advisors aren't properly insured and they aren't properly educated. Uh, and a lot of people uh, may have been put into you know, things that uh, they thought were aligned with their timing and risk tolerance. But uh, in the end, because of the responsibility of who you choose uh, in that situation, and that's why I wanted to have you on because I think it's really, really, really important um, to understand it's more the person than even the products. Uh, and so how can we trust and vet the person as well as the products that they're putting us into that are hopefully aligned with the timing and risk tolerance that we have. You know, David, I, uh, I put my name uh, behind, you know, my company. So that's one of those, right, is it's just that reputational risk that you have tying something to that with a, with a trusted product or a trusted service that you provide. Um, you know, that's one aspect. I, I also think that it's important to be a, a learn it all rather than a know it all. So you can have people with all types of accreditations, but you just feel really terrible after talking with them, right? Or, or feel like get talked down to. Um, you know, there's so much that th there is to know out there. And so, you know, for me, I really try to be a, a learn it all uh, mindset or, or personality. Um, the other is I put in a lot of the work. So I'm a CFA, I'm a chartered financial analyst. Uh, you know, that's for the top, you know, 10% of financials in my profession uh, for industry professionals. That's worldwide. And um, and so, you know, that's that's another aspect. And then also, um, you know, I have the Wall Street background. So I went to the Goldman Sachs, the vanguards. I know how they operate. I know how they operate at scale. And then I'm able to take those same lessons that I learned there and apply it into my practice now to provide that high level of service. And so I don't think. Um, you know, it, somebody without, you know, my background or experience can't deliver, you know, a high quality service to a client. I just think that, you know, at the end of the day, those are some of the things that I felt like I needed to be able to put myself in the best position to help the most amount of people. Darren, you know, one thing I think that gets overlooked when people think about advisors is, is that like monolithic singular view of, you know, folks helping them invest, but you guys take you know, a 360 approach with tax analysis and, and other things. 
tell me why or explain why those things are important to look at the full scope of the picture. Because I think a lot of folks that are looking to get into investment are only thinking about one side of the house, but it's, it's a whole protection, you know, model that, that should be rolled out together. Yeah, I think, David, it's kind of twofold. One is I try to stay in my lane. I know what I know and I know what I don't know. So uh, when it comes to the venture space, that's, you know, something that's definitely in my wheelhouse. Am I going to be preparing a tax return and, and filling out boxes? Absolutely not. Right. Um, one of the aspects of venture capital, though, and when you invest in a, in a business is that aspect of carried interest. Right. And so mm -hmm. as that investment grows, there's some payback that you have that carried interest actually has a tax advantage where, you know, you're not getting taxed at ordinary income rates. And so I do have to coordinate with attorneys, uh, with tax uh, preparers to make sure that all of those uh, boxes are getting checked in the right way. But it's not something, you know, that we're sitting down and and actually uh, signing out for a client. Right. And so. That's one aspect with the venture spaces. Those have tax advantages. The second thing is I, I actually work with a lot of individuals that have made their wealth with real estate, commercial real estate. You know, I'm based here in Southern California. Like that's a big one. Uh, the other one for younger generations is crypto. So, you know, believe it or not, there's been a lot of cryptocurrency millionaires that are looking to transition from that, uh, you know, cryptocurrency to some fiat money as well. And then that's where we put it into the public markets um, with those longer time horizons and uh, and develop tax strategies there for dividends, uh, tax deferral strategies, um, sometimes, you know, doing some things with capital gains like tax loss harvesting. So there's a lot of things that happen like in coordination. And if I'm not quarterbacking some of that with, you know, your attorney, your estate planner, your tax preparer, there's somebody could drop the ball. And, you know, that that's not something, you know, that uh, that my clients would enjoy. Darren, you make a great point when it comes to alternative ways of investing and talk about crypto, which I love. So thank you for that. And I was, you know, a couple of the Bitcoin billionaires out here. And I was with a guy last night who's got 6000 Bitcoin. Right. And when he bought those people thought he was crazy, although it wasn't a lot of money. Uh, but, you know, that was a non-traditional path like you're talking about. One of the other non-traditional paths, although it used to be traditional, are metals. And we look at, you know, the price of gold and, and what's happening now. It's blowing the roof off. People didn't realize that we were talking about it five years ago when it was. The reality is most people don't know where to go. Like if I said, hey, go buy me five thousand dollars or five hundred dollars worth of gold. Most people wouldn't know where to go. They can go to the jewelry store. Where does all of that play into this non-traditional uh, ability to achieve wealth, in your opinion? Uh, so, Mike, I just had this conversation yesterday with an investment committee. So that's, you know, a, a book of four different advisors. They've managed hundreds of millions of dollars and they say, Darren, you know, what's going on with gold? What's happening right now? What we're actually seeing is over the past five years, central banks have been purchasing gold right. in large quantities. Right. right. So. Yeah. If, you know, I'm seeing the, the Bank of Canada make a large outsized purchase of gold, that's going to, you know, perk my ears up. That's going to my spidey sense is going to go off the charts and say, you know, what does the Bank of Canada know that I don't know? Right. Um, so that's one aspect is central banks have been this underlying driving factor that they want to boost their reserves. Now, like you said, you can't just go out and, and buy a block of gold tomorrow. Um, but there are uh, aspects in the public markets that they have a really good representation of that. Uh, one of those is like a gold backed trust. So for every share that you invest in the trust, it's one for one unit backed by 
uh, uh, an ounce of gold. And so that's one where, you know, you know that the value of what you're purchasing on the public markets is actually tied back to a physical gold certificate um, and, you know, a, a way to be able to invest there. I'd be wary of, you know, some of these like gold coins or, you know, like trade-in uh, programs, uh, you know, a lot of that you can you can end up getting hurt on. Um, I've also had clients that, you know, actually do want to buy the physical gold. There, there are some legitimate, uh, you know, dealers that, that do that. It's more offshore. Um, so like in Switzerland uh, or Sweden, there's, there's a larger gold market there uh, to purchase those and where I feel more comfortable being able to put, put money behind that. Yeah, I know Mike and I had the silver conversation years and years ago, and it was a good conversation. And there are like Stacks and Bowers, and there's people right here in Orange County, uh, even though I'm in Augusta right now, uh, you know, depending on your timing and risk tolerance, right? Some people believe, as I've seen, you know, it's no accident uh, China and Russia are buying a bunch of gold and silver. Uh, and uh, it's uh, may, may also be a security if, you're, if you have a, uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars of bars and coins uh, if you need to move quickly. Uh, there's people who have that type of perspective, timing and risk tolerance wise, that they'd rather not worry about it going up and down. They just want to have a currency that they can utilize if, uh, you know, doomsday of, of economies are here or not. But more importantly, you want the right person. I think in the comments, we see how important it is. Uh, someone, I think the best point uh, that you made to me when I asked for credibility of people, because uh, I've been doing this for a long time, Darren, is look for a guy that'll put his name <laughs> right there uh, on it. Unless it's Goldman, then you'll never know. Uh, but yeah, Tuttle Ventures, uh, you want to find the right person. And my other favorite, you'll hear this quote, uh, Darren Tuttle is a learn-it-all, not a know-it-all. And uh, I look for the learn-it-alls which is why my tagline is be more interested than interesting. And that's definitely what Darren Tuttle is. Check him out, Tuttle Ventures. Uh, find and trust and vet the right people to give you the right ideas aligned with your timing and risk tolerance. It sounds like Darren could be your guy. Thanks so much for joining me, buddy. Right. Thanks, Dave. Sweet. Thanks, Darren. All right. We're moving and grooving here at Augusta. Uh, it's amazing. Chris is in the house. Big smile this morning. Hi, Chris. Welcome Good to morning. Office How's everybody? Fantastic. Very well. How can you Excellent. not be? Any <laughs> Chris Allaire is here, founder and CEO of of Verity. Very, I said yeah. That correctly. yeah, see, look at that. Every even a blind squirrel can find the name or an acorn this morning, right, Dave? You can give him a big smile as well. There we go. All right, I keep on trying to get Dave. To... Oh no, he smiled. Scared him away. <laughs> <laughs> That's so off, good. off to a good start. That's all right. We're we're good. Uh, anyway, give us a little bit. Uh, about your dream um as you welcome back buddy uh in, my smile took me out that's what we thought so anyway uh i i chris you know i talked about today this great realization we went through the great resignation uh and one of the aspects in recruiting today uh is that companies are laying off a lot of people but for the first time, the same companies that are laying off people are hiring people. Mm. Uh, and it makes for a really skills and knowledge specific recruiting and retention. Uh, and one of those areas, obviously, is technology. And you're one of the best uh, of the best in recruiting technology uh, 
people with the right skills and right knowledge. What is the supply and demand today uh, as you see it? I know you're based in New York uh, for someone who has software data, you know, DevOps type of engineering specialties. Uh, what is the market for those type of people today? You're always going to be very high in demand. I think the interesting thing we're going to find is going to be which industries are going to demand you the most right now, which ones are moving forward, which ones are staying stagnant, which ones are innovating new products, new services, which ones know they need to be on the next cusp of, of, of the next big thing. Um, you know, we might be, you know, I think we've, we've seen this, I've been doing this business for about 25 years. And I think there's always you no, know, these new exciting startups that happen. Um, whether they have a business plan in place, like a real true business plan to profitability in place is a little bit different. So what tends to happen is, you know, they get really excited. The, the market gets really excited. Um, you know, so, you know, they're getting venture backed money and then the technologists, the engineers, DevOps security, they get really excited because they get to learn and use crazy new things that you maybe you really wouldn't use at a large behemoth, you know, at a JP Morgan or Thomson Reuters or, or something to that effect. Um, so they, they go over there and they get to utilize all these new skills. And then we have these corrections in the market where if you've seen over time, the behemoths are, are always going to be there. You know, they're, they're, they're there. Um, and so the, what we see is just kind of these shifts in the market, not necessarily a lack of, of de definitely not never a lack of demand, um, but always going to be a lack of supply. Like, you know, the large insurance companies are there. The big financial sectors are there. The massive media firms are there. Um, so and they need people, you know, yeah. badly. And it all depends on the, um, you know, I think what we see right now is a lot of, uh, a lot of good clickbait on, you know, what's going on out there and, uh, you know, in the, in the tech sector. And there are some giants out there that are in the tech sector that get a little bit more headlines than others. Um, we tend to get caught a little bit more in the headlines than the reality kind of what's going on right now. So, but I think the biggest things are, you know, the data side, the security side, um, utilization of, of cloud resources are not only are they in demand, but they are the forefront of everything that we will be seeing in the, in the next wave of, of products and services. Chris, really interesting. Obviously, I think many lay people believe that the tech companies uh, have have created a shift in the way that uh, companies function operationally. And when you look at movies, you know, uh, that parody the Google environment and, you know, some other dinosaurs in the world, like what, what's going on there? You know, uh, obviously that they've run the gamut between like traditional and, 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 and a little bit less traditional. Uh, what have you seen as a recruiter and, and how important is it to folks that you're recruiting the company culture? Uh, particularly as it pertains to some of the things that are more alternative, which are now more common, you know, completely working remote, um, some of the wellness and, 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 and uh, fitness perks that maybe some tech companies have that your traditional maybe insurance company or bank doesn't have. Uh, how important are those things to the people that you're recruiting and what's been the most unique thing you've seen there? So it's interesting because you, you use the word, it's, there's a difference between perks and culture. And I think that's the thing that I think a lot of people, when we went into um, the pandemic and people started going remote, I was talking to a number of organizations, you know, CEOs, CTOs, you know, senior VPs, et cetera. And I was asking them, what's your company culture like right now? And a lot of them actually, believe it or not, their answer was, we don't really have one. They, they thought that your, um, your catered lunches, your guitar hero, your ping pong tables, your, those perks, they thought that those perks were the culture of the company. 
And a lot of organizations have lost sight that the culture of the company is a belief system and it's the way you operate. It's what you stand for. It's, it's, you know, for, for our company, it's communication, collaboration, teamwork, et cetera. It's never been about, you know, the onsite masseuse or the, which we missed her tremendously, but that was not a culture. So I think what we saw was this whole idea of like, okay, we need to now kind of reinvent our company culture into what is our, what is the true meaning of what we do every single day? What do we stand for versus the perks and the perks are fun. Like the perks are great. You know, the, the Googles of the world and you walk in, you've got the company barista and, and all these phenomenal things that make showing up to work a lot more fun. But it's interesting because when, when we got stripped from the, uh, the showing up to work, how did, you know, so I think that's where organizations are really got a good opportunity to do it. There's a lot of organizations that excelled at it. Uh, there's a lot of HR advisors and a lot of, of uh, CHROs that I spoke to that were trying to figure out, you know, how do we, how do we reinvent our culture? Um, so there's a lot of organizations that have done it. And I think one of the biggest things is, you know, it's not just like these corporate, you know, company happy hours and stuff like that, that people are doing, but it's a lot more, I, I think the biggest thing we've seen is a lot more of this idea of people first organizations, right? Understanding that you're no longer this, the, the day and night, the day and age of you required to sit on a train or sit in traffic, to go to an office, to sit in your cubicle for X number of hours to do these things. Those days are kind of over. And now it's like, okay, well, how do we maintain a healthy and happy lifestyle for the people that are working here? And now that's going to be our company culture. So Chris, when you, and that's fantastic stuff, when you're looking for these individuals, when you're recruiting for these tech companies, what's the source? Because I know for traditional industries, like if you have a law firm or other businesses, you're going to specific sources to recruit the best attorneys or the best HR person, et cetera. But when you're talking about DevOps, when you're talking about coders and developers and people that are doing things in a way that a lot of people don't understand, are we looking in places that we can find them? And I'll tell you what I mean. I'm out here in, in Santa Monica, one of the tech companies that I'm a part of now, and we've just been going through some incredible growth. But most of the people that we're getting that are operating on an extremely high level, most people have never heard of. They're, they're not out there. They're, they're, you know, they're not putting their resume now out. They're not on Monster. They're not doing these people live in caves that you literally you can't find these guys they are coding all day long. So you have to be in these in the telegrams and the reddits and the substacks, all of these different places to find them. What are the technologies or what are the processes that you're using to find these kinds of people? So we're structured a little bit differently. So the way I've structured the organization is uh, deep and narrow as opposed to broad and shallow. So we have certain teams that are handling certain uh, aspects of the technology niches, not industries, but technology specifications. So what we've done is I've developed teams that are handling backend software engineering, front end security, DevOps, data science, data analytics. So what we're going for are not people in the financial sector or the SaaS sector, but we're going for people that are using machine learning operations in whatever right. sector there are. And what we're trying to do is constantly network with those people. So that way I know that when you're looking for a job, because you will, because your average turnover ratio in an organization is about 18 months to two years at pretty much at the most. So you're going to look for a job sooner or later. The only idea is when you do, who do you know that you're going to be able to connect it with? No different on the organization side. When you're going to hire somebody, you need to know that you're working with someone who's an expert in that area. So my whole philosophy is, is pretty simple. It's find something you're good at and do it better than anybody else. And so what I want to do is I want to be an expert in this vertical. So that funnel, if you will, the, the pipeline, if you will, 
is always filled with those experts in the area, regardless of where they are, what industry they're in. Um, and actually some of the, the, the best ones we've ever seen are, are industry agnostic and they don't want to be a subject matter expertise in finance or insurance or, right. um, or what have you, or e-commerce, you know, they want to be able to experience, you know, how you can utilize the best technologies area in, in, in a buy now, pay now environment. And you guys do such a great job at that as well as screening people, Chris Allaire, check them out. There's so many companies that need to find the right people. There's nothing more expensive than having the wrong recruit. Uh, and, you know, getting the right person uh, is the fastest and easiest way to be successful. The greatest investment you can make is in your people and the people that can find your people. And that's why we use Chris Allaire. Check him out, founder and CEO of Verity, averityteam.com. Uh, it's a crucial component of a successful company today. Chris, thanks so much for what you do. Come back on. We got more issues to talk about. <laughs> thanks so much for your time, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. You got thanks, it. Chris. Take care. All right. Last but not least, as we are getting ready for the Friday training here, Phil, Tim Elmore waiting in the wings. Uh, he is Growing Leaders, and you can find that out at growingleaders.com. He is founder and CEO of Growing Leaders. He is an author, but a leader himself, an organizational leader, for longer than Dave Marino has been alive. Uh, and he has his book, A New Kind of Diversity, Making the Different Generations on Your Team a Competitive Advantage. And uh, Tim, welcome to Office Hours. I'm glad you're here to talk about uh, how I feel every day. <laughs> Thanks, David. Great to be with you. You're in a different time zone than me. I'm now on the East Coast. Where are you at? Okay. I'm, I'm in Atlanta, so we are East Coast. Oh, you're, I'm with you. I'm in Augusta right now. I come oh, to yeah? the Masters. Oh, of course you are. Come to the <laughs> Masters every year. But normally, uh, Mike Mamola is holding the Ford in the West Coast. Gotcha. And Marino, I think, is in New York, uh, holding the East Coast as well. But I'm um, in Panama today. Oh, you, oh my goodness. This, 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 is, this is a traveling crew, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but, Tim, you know, we, we talk about diversity in so many different ways. Yeah. Uh, but I think a lot of people, um, I, I talk about this, you know, great realization, a realization uh, that for older leaders, that we don't truly understand the efficiencies that technology has provided us. And therefore, we've lowered the bar way too far when it comes to mm -hmm. some of our younger employees. They get away with so much shit, excuse my language, because older people don't know how easy certain things are. Uh, and it's a straight out street hustle. Um, but on the other side of it, on the other side of it is, you know, the young people don't know what we know. You know, you lose $100 million, you know lessons that will take a lifetime or lifetimes for most people. And so they don't know uh, what we don't know. And uh, this creates a great separation uh, of non-intentional uh, you know, engagement issues and communication issues. How do we build those bridges between those two uh, issues that I think, you know, truly can quadruple or 10 times amount of productivity in a company? Yeah, it's a great question. And that's actually what the book is about. Um, you probably see what I see. There's this emerging generation entering the workforce that's 22 years old they have grown up in a wholly different world than, than the boss who's 62 or whatever. 
And uh, we, often we just get frustrated. And, and, and I think we need to turn frustration into fascination. So based on what you just said, uh, David, I think we need to remember there's value in both the timely and the timeless. So they bring in an intuition on where culture's going. Uh, they know that you could monetize TikTok if we do it right, you know, that sort of thing. But yet you just suggested there's some timeless stuff we picked up over the decades. They're going to need to learn um, stuff that grandpa taught us, you know, even discipline and integrity. So buying gold and silver. <laughs> What's that? Buying gold and buying silver. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, instead of Bitcoin. So anyway, yeah. uh, I, t I tell a story early in the book that might really prompt a great discussion here. I talk about Tony, true story. He was a college student a couple of years ago at Ohio University. He took a part-time job his senior year at a major brand paint store that we would all recognize if I said the name. Well, while he was there on his shift, he started a TikTok account, started taping himself, mixing colors and so forth. And he posted them and he went viral. When he had 1.4 million followers, and 37 million views, he thought, man, this could be, you know, we could use this for marketing. Yeah, there's a million more people that we're not reaching. So he put a slide deck together, took it to management, and he did not get one person interested in hearing his idea. Didn't get one set of eyeballs to look at the slide deck. Tony did get something he didn't expect. He got fired. Yeah, because management was just sure this kid was, you know, doing this on company time or probably stealing the pay, probably distracting the customers. So what happened, David, is he leaves, he goes down to Florida, now has over 2 million followers, and he started his own paint store. So there's a bunch of stuff to that story we don't get, but here's yeah. one thing I do get. They missed an opportunity. Had they, had they just sat down and said, let's, let's learn from each other. Let's do reverse mentoring. So I think there's something both generations, old and young, can add to each other, but we just got to we got we to gotta approach it with humility and teachability, I think. I love it. I'm not sure there's an industry or sector where the generational gap is bigger than in big law. Uh, you know, I'm a partner in big law, and we've got some partners that yeah. are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. And then we've got young associates that are mid-20s. And I, I've been seeing, particularly in my law firm, a lot of challenges uh, in regards to communication between the two groups yeah. uh, and things where we've got a culture that's been established over 30 or 40 years of these guys' careers yep. uh, that's just not tolerated anymore. Um, and frankly, Gen Z especially will not tolerate it, right? They, they are a generation of folks that will stand up for what they believe in with no yeah. regard for what the fallout is. And I, I respect it a tremendous bit, amount. And then for me, I'm someone that's like, way in the middle as a younger partner mm -hmm. that understands kind of both sides. Um, what's your advice for that, that older generation to, yeah. to acquiesce to the current cultures or how can we better bring them into the mix of, of doing things that are not causing challenges for them yeah. necessarily? Yeah. Great question, David. So one of the most fascinating discoveries I made as we researched, um, people within all five generations that are in the workplace. Isn't that amazing? There's five sociological generations working together because people are working longer and living longer and people are still graduating from college and entering the workforce. So five, if you, if you will, five different mindsets. So David, as we surveyed folks from all five of these generational cohorts, 
we found, we asked the question, what do you want most from other generation, other age groups, if you will, in the workplace? So we got a myriad of answers. You can imagine the 25-year-olds wanted this, that, and the other, and the 60-year-olds wanted something else. But there were three answers that came up in every single one of the five generations. In other words, I wish this is how you would approach me. Number one was humility. And I know that's a soft skill, not a hard skill, but imagine a workplace where even the older would say, you know what, you're a, you're still wet behind the ears, but I'm going to approach you with humility, which screams, I realize I don't know everything. I realize there's more to learn. Um, number two is respect. Um, I know that's an old fashioned word. Thank you, Aretha Franklin. But, but imagine that we began with belief, not, hey, son, you got to earn my respect before I give it to you. What if we started with respect? Well, I'll tell you what I've learned in my office. I got some Gen Zers. When I start with respect and I'm 63, it often just reciprocates back to me. So humility, respect. The third one was, I thought, a fascinating concept. Every single generation said, I wish you would approach me with curiosity, which I think screams, oh my gosh, I'm hungry to learn. And I bet you I could learn from every one of you. So I don't know if that's oversimplifying the issue, but those soft skills, along with our hard skills in the field of law, are just as important, I think, today as ever. Tim, that, that answers my question before I asked it. So thank you. I think that's the first time in the history of me being on the show that that's happened. So I don't have any questions. No. But when you talk about those soft skills, right, what we're really talking about is emotional intelligence. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's just been this, you know, IQ, 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 yes. IQ pounded into us for the last 50 years. But then, this, you know, certain people are tapping into this EQ, EQ, yeah. emotional intelligence, these skills. But we don't learn them in school very often. Right. So if we don't have if we're not blessed with parents who can teach us or family members or friends, you know, a lot of times you can have the smartest person in the room who's not a great leader because they don't have that. Are those skills that you're able to teach or to to able to help people with if they've never gotten the education or the emotional intelligence courses? Absolutely. In fact, that's the good news. Um, We all know that IQ doesn't change a whole lot in your adult life, but EQ can be developed. In fact, I'll tell you, Mike, when I was raising my children, they're both 34 and 30 now, but I said to them, success in school is 75% IQ, 25% EQ. You get out in the real world, it's the opposite. It's often 25%. And the C-plus students are leading the A-plus students because they're better with teams and with people. So I absolutely believe it can be developed, and there's a number of great resources out there. But you're right. This book is really about developing those skill sets that can be learned and that make us better with people. And I think if we leverage the strength of each generation rather than get put off by it, um, oh my gosh, we've got something. It's pretty pretty magical. Mm, it's incredible. Um, one last question, and then uh, we'll move on to our Friday training, uh, Tim. Um, the preconceived uh, differences um, sometimes are correct. Um, and, you know, I, I find that curiosity, I, I think humility is missing uh, okay. uh, from both sides. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, that in humility and respect will come together. Um, but the one area that I think I see is, you know, not generational, but just personality based is yeah. curiosity yeah. And, cur- and curiosity. Like I, I have one leader in my company. He, he's almost too curious. <laughs> because he'll go down the rabbit hole. I have to bring him back out 
Yes. Uh, but I but I would rather someone be too too curious than another leader in my company, you know, who's not curious at all. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, okay, you know, maybe you should just be in an administrative role. Yeah. Uh, because I'd like to give you a list of things. How do we inspire curiosity? Because I don't think that's generational. I think yeah, it's a person. I do too. And I think it's really value. We have to have curiosity in our companies. Yeah. We're losing out if we don't. No doubt about it. And you're absolutely right, David. I'm glad you brought that up. This book is not going to solve all the problems between personalities and family of origin and things like that. <laughs> um, but I tell you what, Jack Welch started something way back in the 1990s at General Electric that I think we need to pick back up. He called it what I mentioned it earlier, reverse mentoring. So yeah. back in the 90s, if you remember, computers were somewhat new in the workplace. And he had some like 60-year-old executives that did fine with a pad of paper and a pen, you know. But he had some young MIT grads that were very adept at computers. So he started reverse mentoring groups. The two, young and old, got together, got some coffee or whatever, and they shared stories. They swapped stories. You could always find something in common when you swap stories. But then the older generation guy would pour into the young, here's how to succeed at this company. But then they'd switch hats. And the six-year-old would say to the 22-year-old, what, what do you know about, you know, what do you know about smart technology today or, or how we could monetize this or, or that? And uh, I think that fostered curiosity because GE really did take off under Jack's leadership. Yeah. And he would say, it wasn't just me. I had to recultivate that how can we learn in this rapidly uh, changing world that we're living in? And it's probably going to come from the young. So I think it's both and it's timely and timeless. And that's what I'm hoping companies can recapture. Yeah. And I do want to touch on that because you bring up such a strong point that everything's changing so fast. So take yeah. crypto or take AI, whether you're 80 or 18, if you're not curious, you're, everyone's starting right now with AI. We're all starting in the same spot. Yeah. So reverse mentoring uh, within companies is not just generational. It should be because yes. we want the experiential eye and the new eye to yeah. teach each other. But there are some subject matters that are so essential to business today that we just want the expert regardless of age. Yeah. Rever reverse mentoring, uh, you know, because I've been in technology since 92. Yeah. Um, and so I have a lot of technology knowledge of how web one, web two, web 2.5, web three, mm -hmm. how in the long run, how they're going to be utilized and what companies aren't going to be here. And I can help the young people understand the technology that yeah. they may know some of the, the, the skills wise. But uh, this is a must read uh, for everyone. I We talk about equity and inclusion and diversity all the time on the show. Very, very important. But this type of diversity, the new kind of diversity is equally important uh, and we should pay attention and give attention to it. Everyone go to growingleaders.com, reach out, buy the book, A New Kind of Diversity. Uh, it's a great uh, way to increase your revenue. In other words, make more money, help more people and have more fun with the activity you get paid for uh, by understanding this new kind of diversity and helping to foster the effective communication and mentoring that's needed today. Uh, thank you so much for bringing your humility to our show. Please come back. I got tons more questions. There's a sign of a good show is there's never enough time. So I know we have a good show here. So thanks for joining awesome. us, Tim. Thank you, David. Thanks, thanks gentlemen. Bye-bye. Tim Elmore, check him out, growingleaders.com. Uh, and this time we got four minutes. I got training. 
coming on at uh, an hour and four minutes. The time zones are confusing me a bit, so sorry for the stuttering. Uh, an hour and four minutes. It's BYOQ. You bring the questions. I'll bring the answers. And it's one of my favorite trainings that we do. Uh, takeaways for the day. Mike Mamola, you're first. Yes, yes, yes. I think it's uh, the consistent theme throughout was um, embrace change. You know, when you look at technology, whether it's email lists or some of the other things we talked about, and then with investing, whether it's crypto or gold and looking at various opportunities. And like Tim just talked about, kind of that reverse uh, interviewing and reverse mentoring and reverse everything to embrace change. There's no you know, progress. It's impossible without change. So embrace it. Love it. It's a great takeaway. Uh, it was mine, so I'm going to actually change it. I'm going to go back to the beginning of the show, and I'm going to use shoot your shot. All right, let's think about Adam Rosen uh, with his email outreach that are completely cold. It's it's the modern version of knocking on people's door saying, hey, like, do you want to buy my whatever insert you know product here? Um, you can, whether it's personal relationships is someone you want to date, right? And I know Dave, your story with Julie with putting gum in her hair, Dave shot his shot. And only years later, they're, they're married. Um, you know, whether you want to increase your social media following, just posting more content, you have to shoot your shot. You got to be in the game to win the game. So shoot your shot. You may miss, but just keep shooting. Absolutely. Like a true basketball player. I'm glad you didn't say Seth Rogen, uh, uh, and use that illustration instead of use me uh, shooting my shot. Totally understand. <laughs> uh, but furthermore, mine is right here. Uh, and it's be a learn it all, right? Be a learn it all. There's too many people going through life like tubes as know-it-all. They're sitting watching one TV station thinking they know it all because they were told it all by one person or one, one silo. That's not going to work. You have to be more interested than interesting. Be a learn-it-all, not a know-it-all. Great takeaways from DM and Eminem. Uh, you guys are amazing. Enjoy Panama. Enjoy California. I'm going to go on the course. I just found out I got four more badges, so... We're really having fun here. Maybe you guys will come next year. Yes. Uh, both of you, reach out. I need to speak with you. We got some changes happening on office hours. Talk to you guys later. Awesome. Okie dokie. That's it. It's easy. David at dmelzer.com. If you want to learn it all, we got plenty of books, guys, exercises for free. If it's free, it's we. Just email me, david at dmelzer.com. Remember, most importantly, we got uh, training in one hour. Come and join us, uh, every single platform. If you have not registered, over 80,000 people have registered uh, for training. David at dmelter.com. It's free. That's why so many people have registered. Uh, and you can get a free copy of my book as well. I'll sign it, send it to you, ship it. But be more interested than interesting. Be a learn it all. But most importantly, be kind. Be kind to your future self. Do good deeds. We'll see you in an hour. Thank you.